right. So, hi. Hi, Kurt. Hi. Um, we have some stuff to catch up on because we recorded last two weeks ago. And we've Has had it only been two weeks. <laughs> and there's been three tournaments. Between the two of us, we've gone to four tournaments in that amount of time. Oh my God. Forensic season, man. Yeah, yeah. So you hosted a tournament in that I time. I did. The largest tournament we've hosted yet. Over 600 entries. It was bonkers. And then you had CFL the next day. Again, also bonkers. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday you were in Port Washington and I was in Wrightstown. Yeah. On the weird extra Saturday of February 2020. Leap day, also known as the day I decided it was my dog's birthday. So does that mean you're only going to celebrate once every four years? No, it means that from now on I'll celebrate both the 28th and the 1st. Oh, Okay. Except- or just at just from like 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Okay. Like just in there. But also it's like the worst part of forensic season to do it. So I'll probably just use it as an excuse to buy more toys. I don't sure. know. I think I'll stick to her gotchaversary being when I make her uh, a cake every year. And when was that? Uh, June. Okay. I was going to say she seems like a summer birthday girl to me, but... Our gotchaversary is June. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we got. We better make sure that our dog has multiple occasions throughout the year that we can buy them things and bake them dog baked goods. I made her a dog cake. It was so fun. Uh, and I wish people could see us because she is literally right now just like popping in. Yep. She's on the coming screen. around corners. But like just chilling from, from a different angle yep, every she's time. She's on this side now. Yep. <laughs> She pops in on Melissa's right shoulder, then she'll go away, then she'll pop in over Melissa's left shoulder, then she'll go away. She tried to sit in my lap before and I had to deny her that because she would be blocking the microphone. Right. Um, Anything of note at those those early tournaments, last week's tournaments that you wanted to chat about? And then we can maybe go into a little more detail about this weekend. Um, Never host a home tournament with over 600 entries. It's a bad idea. It is exhausting but we had a really great tab staff and I have really great parents running my concessions and I know that coaches thank their parent volunteers at every award ceremony and the kids aren't really listening but hot diggity parent volunteers are the best they beat the rest and they're awesome so I give a lot to my parents especially the uh, Gossies who are the parents who led all of my concession stuff my dog is eating a mammoth. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, there it is. I can now see it because she she just pushed it into Melissa's into face. Into my face. Uh, uh, CFLs was, was uh, interesting. Uh, I won't go into it on the podcast since I, ooh, I don't necessarily know how. I haven't fully processed it, but the GBCFL diocese made a change uh, to how we do our uh, final rounds. Uh, and I want to make sure I have the actual wording. Cause I was not in the meeting when it passed. Cause I had to go judge around, but, um, the fact that in CFLs, we are allowed to do whatever we want as a diocese and to like benefit, to send our students to nationals is very empowering. And I wish that we, 
did more with that. And we like figured out a way to make it accommodating every year rather than like having a problem one year, trying to solve it the next year. Then it doesn't solve that problem. So then we go back to how it was and it's just, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was very frustrating for me, but I have seven, I'm taking some kids to nationals and um, yeah, it, that part is great. You know, Mariah and I were talking about that for a bit yesterday. Um, she was kind of explaining what the rule ended up being versus what she had proposed uh, and like how it ended up playing out, which was not as dramatic as she even thought it would end up being for that particular day. Um, and, you know, her and I talked about the fact that, and I'm, I'm a former moderator from the CFL and I know that mm-hmm. there are, there are dioceses in the CFL where they don't even hold a competition. They just look at like the kids performance records or whatever metrics they have, or maybe they just get together and decide like, you know, this many kids from one school, this many kids, like the CFL does not care how you qualify people to nationals. So long as you have your system and so much of how we run our GB CFL is really based on like one, a time when we only sent four qualifiers Mm-hmm. And like we were worried about making sure we had those four qualifiers and the two alternates that were, uh, you know, from a power round, you know, which is easier to do when it's six versus seven. Uh, and then also the, the number of people who participate has shrunk. Yeah. That in, in Green Bay specifically, we have recruited school, more schools to be able to be able to send five qualifiers in every category because that's based on the number of schools and yet there's actually fewer kids competing for those additional spots so we end up in this situation where sometimes we are looking at like the kid who ended up in 11th place for that fifth spot and mm-hmm. what we're trying to avoid with all these crazy rule changes is like oh my gosh what if there are two kids who are tied for 11th place and we didn't send them to the power round, how do we know which one won? And it's like, well, <laughs> to me, common sense says, by the time we, we're at 11th place and we're trying to send somebody to nationals, <laughs> and it's like the 11th place out of usually like 13. Yeah. Like there's, there are some categories because kids compete in multiple categories where like by the time all the double entries work out, basically... What, I mean, what percentage of kids who compete do you think end up going to nationals? Half, a Ooh. little less? Oh, I would say 60%. Yeah, you know, like, it's it's a lot, a, a large chunk of the kids who show up to compete end up going. And I don't know, like, we do so much to try to make it seem like there's no bias. And I, part of me thinks, like, what if the solution was we stopped trying to pretend there's no bias? And we just like got if if it gets to the point where we're trying to decide between two different kids in eleventh place for that fifth spot, the two coaches just hash it out. And that was something that was attempted to be done in that room that got shot down. But my main thing with it was that it was a proposal that was brought, written, voted on, and then put into action on the same day. And so there were just as someone who is very much kids first, be nice to kids. So many students were so confused right. and it, it leads to a lot of kids being scared. And so it's one of those decisions that was very like coach and judge focused rather than kid focused. So it was so hard for me to try to explain to kids who 
ended up, yes, going to nationals, but didn't go in their power round that like, you're fine. Mm -hmm. So without also giving away the results. Yeah. Yeah. Because you could, you couldn't actually say you're fine. Yeah. I guess (laughs) you just, you know, so what our diocese decided to do, I guess I'll just try to explain the best I can was that uh, they decided that if a student is doing well enough after the first three rounds, that it's very obvious that they would most likely win the power round, that they will just auto qualify up to the top three, as long as they are within three points from first place to third place. So they're all very close together. They all did very well. We won't make them compete again. They'll auto qualify. When the power posting goes out, it will say, these people are competing for the two remaining spots for nationals, as well as the two alternate spots. And then they'll go forth. And I just. And I think it's worth mentioning for anybody who's not in our diocese that we have two judges in every round. Yep. So the likelihood of a single judge tanking in entries chances at nationals is very low. Mm-hmm. because there are five other scores to consider instead of the usual two. Yep. So, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm hoping that it works out better next year and that students understand it, but that was just a big thing that was confusing for CFLs and we don't need to go on about it because right. I've, I've gone on about it a lot. But uh, then we went at Port Washington was where I was yesterday while you were in Wrightstown. And I was very excited because uh, Miss Michelle Utech uh, asked me if I wanted to be part of a all uh, female tab room. And I was like, uh, duh. So I got to be part of a tab room with uh, her leading us and Carrie Baker Jackson and Amy Geyser and Rayanne Elmgreen or Elmer Green. Elmer Green. I'm going to say your name right, Rayanne. Sorry. Uh, and then because we didn't want to appear sexist, uh, Michael uh, Mayer from Brookfield East was there because he's hosting his first tournament this year. And so we thought we'd be nice to him and let him hang out with us. But it was basically just me getting to talk to, especially I haven't really competed or seen Carrie or Amy this season at all. So just getting to catch up with them was wonderful. And it was three of the four people nominated for the Hints Award. Which we will get to. (laughs) I'm really glad people can't see this face I'm making. It's... Not great. No. <laughs> How was Wrightstown? It was Dave's first tournament. Yeah, Wrightstown went really well. Mike Tross helped him out a lot with uh, running the tab room. And uh, it was on the smaller side as a turn as tournaments go. Uh, so things were running ahead of schedule throughout the whole day. Um, and even like I, I ended up judging the poetry final and we had a new judge who was like struggling to get things in on time. And so like poetry hadn't been figured out until like five minutes before the round was supposed to start at 1 PM. Um, but by that time, like every other round had been posted. Yeah. Like by 1230, just about everything was done and things and postings were going up. So yeah. And then we started our thing on time because like poetry was the last one. We were ready to go. We got things done. We weren't even the last, uh, like there were like five other finals still going on by the time we brought in our, our ballots. Dang. So yeah, it was very efficient. Um, got to see a lot of the same people I saw the weekend before at CFL. Cause it's just kind of that area. Yeah. Um, I have no idea 
how things turned out because as a judge who is not attached to a team, I left after judging my final round. Um, so I assume everything went well or I would have heard some rumblings. Yeah. Um, but I saw the cutest thing that I wanted to tell <gasps> you about. I was just walking down the hall to one of my rounds and I was heading, I think I was heading towards my second round and walking down the hall was, I'm assuming a mom, a dad, and then a grandma. Mm -hmm. And they're walking down the hall and the dad turns to the grandma, his mom or mother-in-law, I'm assuming, and said, well, do you have anything else going on this afternoon? Because we could come back and watch again. And like the look on his face of like, like this was great and I want to see my kid go again. And the mom very sensibly was like, I don't know that she'd want us to come watch again, <laughs> which is probably true. And I'm, I, I'm assuming she knows her daughter better than we do. Um, but that moment of seeing that dad just being like, I mean, I don't have anything else going on. Why don't we come back and watch another round? <laughs> like, it was truly adorable. Truly I adorable. I did yesterday so too. I like I got a little wet and misty in the eyes yeah. because it was it was just such a cool, cool dad moment. Yay, uh, parents. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we've had that conversation before about spectators and whether or not it's a, a good or bad thing. And um, I'm so happy that that kid let the parents come watch for at least one round. Um, and I mean, I wish there was some way of knowing whose kid those parents were because I would love for them to know that like that made my day and the way, yeah. you know, to see a, to see a parent just so stoked about forensics and uh, you know, and I, I'm assuming a lot, but you have to assume that like he must've thought this was something he was going to have to sit through. Yeah. Like if, if their plan was to come watch round one and leave and after leaving round one, he was like, well, why don't we come back? He must've been pretty enthused about, what what it is and must have been pretty impressed by what his kid was doing so um that was just it was just such a cool little offhanded thing that happened in between rounds and i just i loved it that's so nice mm -hmm. did you have any other favorite parts of your week outside of forensics no <laughs> okay good i didn't do anything um no i just really as someone who and we've had discussions about like tab rooms not being this whole mystique filled place. Like I genuinely just felt like I was like hanging out with my friends and doing a craft basically. <laughs> like we're just, and, and like we, there were TPP issues that were coming through and there were like issues with teams and drops and all those things still happening. But at the same time, like I was just doing it with people that I genuinely adore being around and so I just after having been so burnt out last weekend having done Congress Friday home tournament on Saturday CFL qualifiers on Sunday I, I left uh Sunday with my cup very empty and I feel like Saturday it just got nice and filled up and and that was also like I had kids that did really well at the tournament uh my my good friend Ted Edson who's one of my kids who joined later in his high school career, got first place in poetry and the whole team like basically took the, <laughs> took the award ceremony over by chanting his name. And those moments, I just walked away feeling very warm, 
not just because I was sweating in the sun, but also because I was just full of all the happy emotions. And and Shelly put on a great tournament. She had lots of little fun things happening. One of her students hit around these tiny little baby dolls. And I found one. We were walking uh, to the uh, judges lounge when I was walking with Holly. And um, I put it in my hair. And uh, it made me really happy just to have a little tiny baby doll to play with all day. Weird. But very me, right? Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. that that all female judges lounge transitions nicely to what we're talking about today, uh, which is just our love of women in forensics. Boo, boo, boo. Um, this is somewhat prompted, as you've already hinted at, at because the hints nominations came out that last I weekend. Hinted at. You hinted at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so the Hints Award, we explained this a couple weeks ago, is um, the award that we give out once a year to a coach in the organization who has contributed not only to their team, but also to the WFCA and the activity of forensics in general. And I would say it's fair to say that we have not nominated very many women recently, <laughs> that it's Correct. been men on men on men. Um, and this year, remarkably, justifiably, it's all women. All ladies. There are four nominees, all women. Annalisa Dahlgren from Sun Prairie, Carrie Baker Jackson from Ronald Reagan, Amy Geyser from... Divine Savior, Holy Angels, and Marquette. I always have to get the order of Divine Savior, Holy Angels correct. <laughs> um, and Melissa Gabrielson from this podcast. And also Sheboygan South High School. <laughs> oh, yes, that too. Uh, but mostly, um, mostly from this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. I have said probably too many times on this podcast how undeserving I felt and still feel about ever being nominated and now having been nominated for the hints. But when the email went out last Sunday showing who the four nominees were, and it was me and three other women who I respect and look up to and genuinely also just like, I was a little emotional and I was just very excited uh, because I'm going to lose to one of them and I'm going to lose so gracefully and so excitedly. I'm going to be that person who I'm, who gets nominated at like the Academy Awards and is obviously just like there to have a good time and is just like dressed in a good outfit. And uh, when someone else wins, I'm more enthusiastic than like the mom they brought with them. I'm like screaming and cheering. I'm basically Emma Stone when Olivia Coleman won. And she basically tried to stop Olivia Coleman's husband from kissing her because she was also trying to kiss her. So I'm going to be Emma Stone to whichever Olivia Coleman wins. I love that. That's but great. I do want to point out that the last time a woman won was Mariah Irvin in 2010. And even though he is a great guy, she did have to share that with a man. Yes, it was Joe a tie Mikey. that year. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. It's been one might say it's been too long. Yeah. It's been too About long. About a decade too long. Yeah. Um, 
So what we're going to talk about today, we're going to we're going to chat about those hints nominees. We're going to share some of our favorite personal memories. But before we get to that, I would uh, I would just kind of throw out there like the women in forensics that are important to you, uh, like who's who's affected your life. And that's not only like me and Melissa, but like you listening, like I really hope that this is an opportunity for you to stop and think about like who are the women in this activity who have pushed you to be better, uh, which sometimes means supporting. Sometimes that means challenging. Sometimes that means they were like on your team. Sometimes that means maybe they weren't even really that close to you, but just by proximity, you learned a lot or they, they pushed you to be better. Um, so I'll start with you, Melissa. Like, what are some of the women in forensics who you feel have, have bettered you as a competitor and or coach? Ooh, um, I'll do it in three phases. Uh, when I was in high school, I 100,000% looked up to uh, Shelly Zamora, now Shelly Zamora Trilling. She was on the debate and forensics team, uh, as well as being a cheerleader both seasons and an incredible academic. Uh, and my dog. Speaking as well. of women we love. Yeah. Uh, but she was just a great example of someone who was a social chameleon. She just fit in wherever she went, but she also was so hardworking and like every week she would do well. And she was one of those people where you could tell everyone in the category she was competing in respected her, uh, especially uh, during the debate season. Uh, being a woman in debate can really suck still, even now, 15 years later, so uh, watching the other guys that she was competing against, actually respecting her, the guys that she was competing with, because there weren't a lot of females on our debate team. So we were almost always competing with dudes, them also respecting her. And so I just always have spent so much time looking up to her and thinking back to the ways that she affected me in high school and she was also the catalyst for a lot of really great team memories that I have because she was the de facto leader of my team for two of the years that I was on it. So yeah, big ups to Shelly Zamora for my, for being a good high school inspiration to me. I love that. Yeah. And now I still follow her on Facebook. She just had her second kid. Yeah. And People our age are doing that. I don't, I don't get it. Do you get it? I don't get it. You have a dog. I don't um, even get that. So It's true. <laughs> but you have a husband, so we're even. Fair. Oh. Fortunately, I don't um, think John listens to the podcast anymore because hey, <laughs> he would have just yeah. heard himself get compared to your dog. I love you, John. <laughs> um, and then I... So I've talked about Mackenzie Berkey on this podcast a lot because she was the first student who I ever feel like I as a coach clicked with. And the reason that I am the coach I am today is because Mackenzie Berkey taught me how to, without trying to. She was just so flexible with me figuring out things and how to get things across. I had been coaching for only a few years before she came onto the team and not that seriously yet. And so I feel like 
I don't know where I would be as a coach if I hadn't had her there being my guinea pig for everything. My guinea pig for coaching intern, being a speech kid all through high school. My guinea pig for how to build relationships with my students after they graduate high school and supply energy and love to my students when they need it and get to see the benefits of that happening to them later in life. And yeah, she is many years younger than me, but her patience with me as her coach those four years is like one of the major pillars of where I am today. All right. Who are, who are, who are the ladies in your life, Kurt? Well, I mean, I wouldn't be in forensics if it wasn't for Kathy Flannery, who was a coach at Sheboygan North. She is a hints award winner herself. Um, this batty old woman who literally grabbed me out of the hallway and was like, who are you? What's your story? And found out that I had given a speech to run for student office that very day and was like, oh, you speak in front of other people? This is your place. And I didn't know what forensics was. I didn't know anybody else in the room. My friend that I knew going into it who was thinking about joining forensics ended up never doing it. But like she got her hooks in me and... I, if it had not been for her perseverance and her expectation that like, well, you're going to do this, you're going to write a speech. She gave me the public address prompt because she was like, oh, you're political because I gave a high school mm-hmm. student council speech. Oh, you're political. So here's your, here's your public address prompt. Pick one. Let's start writing. You know, I'll meet you on Saturdays at the library. And I was like, oh, Saturdays, like, come on lady. And then like, Okay, so you have to you have to dress, uh, you know, you have to dress up and wear a tie and we'll see you on the bus at six. What? Like there, like the, the information about what forensics was just kept trickling out um, and, until I eventually got to a tournament and just fell in love with it. Um, and so it's really thanks to Kathy Flannery that that I joined forensics and, you know, I. She and I didn't coach together for many years. She retired, I think, my sophomore year. Um, So I think, you know, a few students would still work with her uh, as sophomores. But uh, she at that point, she didn't leave her house much and she had cats and I was allergic. So I couldn't work with her anymore. She is she was such a cat lady. She really, really was. Um, I have no idea what that's like. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, hmm. Actually, I'm just thinking like. You could be a Kathy Flannery in about 50 years. You could. You could. Like, you could. You could be that that person. Um, so, yeah, she would, she would be the first woman in forensics who really changed my life. Oh, my God, Rosalind. She wants your attention so badly. I'm just going to mute my microphone while you're talking. <laughs> um, and then the... The second woman that I'm going to talk about, and it's just a big jump, and there were so many women in between, uh, great coaches, great students, great teachers who weren't my forensics coach, but who supported forensics and like were always interested in asking how things were going with the team. Um, amazing teammates. I've talked on and on about Stephanie Ackman on this podcast. I've competed against some amazing people. I, I went on and on about Venus Cooper at one point. I know. like, I just got so lucky with the group of kids that I competed with. 
Um, so all of those are there. Many, many amazing and wonderful women. But um, I'm going to highlight Bonnie Knight because if it weren't for Bonnie Knight, there wouldn't be a podcast because she was the first person to, one, accept my invitation to to be interviewed for the podcast. She was the president of the WFCA at the time. Um, and then once she had the experience of being interviewed, she was such an advocate to other people for the experience of being interviewed that she's the reason why other people said yes. And she was so supportive and so kind about it. And so this podcast exists basically because, um, yes, I had an idea, but it was then Bonnie Knight who, who said, yeah, you should do that. Keep going. Um, so, she is a woman in forensics who definitely made a big difference uh, in my life. And really, by extension, anybody who thinks that they've benefited or has been entertained by this podcast, we have we have Bonnie Knight to thank for that. So now that we've talked about some, a very small portion of the women in forensics who have impacted our lives directly, and again, there are many more, um, let's talk about the Hints winners. So... We, we have had uh, the joy of getting to know these women outside of, uh, you know, just the weekly uh, meets that we see them at. Although this particular batch is interesting because they're from the Milwaukee area and the Madison area, we don't actually compete against them terribly often. No. So, so we really, we've gotten to know them in fits and spurts. Um, but since you had already started talking about the lovely Amy Geyser. I'm going to let you go first and you can talk about Amy. Um, and then I'll talk about Carrie and then you can talk about Lisa. Great. Um, I also want to point out uh, before we start that uh, Mackenzie Snapchatted me as I was talking about her and I'm very freaked out right now. Her ears must be burning in Kentucky. Um, so the third person that, uh, the third woman that is very influential to me and is a fellow Hins nominee with me this year is Amy Geyser. Uh, I think four years ago now at state time is a flat circle and I don't know how it works anymore. Uh, she and I and Doris Sexton were working the intake table and Amy casually said to me, Hey, you're getting your feet really into the executive board. Like you, I feel like you really care about things and they're looking for a new program assistance chair. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And then 10 minutes passed and all of a sudden I was going to be the program assistance chair. And that decision has completely uh, refocused how I approach uh, advocacy for our activity. And it has made me more involved on a state level with our activity because uh, I get to know more coaches. Some people I've never met, but I've exchanged dozens of emails with just due to the nature of being the program assistance chair. Uh, and all of that is because Amy Geyser spent 12 minutes at UW-Whitewater just buttering me up to take over program assistance chair. And for all these years since, she has been an incredible resource to me and a listening ear and crying shoulder and uh, just the best possible uh, support system for this that I could have asked for. And I, she is still probably, no offense to everyone else, my favorite person to walk into a judge's lounge and see. 
It doesn't happen very regularly, but every time I am in the same room as Amy Geyser, the room feels brighter and warmer and more lovely because she is in it. She has a wonderful energy. She really truly, does. and yeah. she and she has a she coaches at an all boys school. She's a female coach, so she has to put in even a little bit more than some of us do with building the relationships with them and figuring out where that is and how that goes. But she also has just been an incredible part of the WCA executive board for years now in many roles. And I feel like there are some people who sort of haven't really acknowledged just how much she gives to our organization. I feel that way about basically anyone who's on or has been on executive board. The organization really has no much, no idea how much work people put into it unless you do it. But Amy Geyser especially is just wonderful and I adore her and she has been a big part of me being your program assistant chair these last few years. And I probably would have given up after the first year if it weren't for her. So I'm going to share a story about Carrie. Um, I was lucky enough. Uh, there weren't many things about being the moderator of the GBCFL that I enjoyed, but one of them was going to the fall meeting with Carrie because she was the incoming moderator for the Milwaukee CFL. Uh, she was taking over from Steve Sexton, who has unfortunately passed away uh, since, uh, well, it was last year. Um, and and he ran the GB or the Milwaukee CFL for so many years, and so she was taking it over from Steve. Uh, and what that led to is some opportunities to go drinking with Carrie Baker. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Where so much forensics bonding happens. But you know the fun thing is what it was. You know, is we were in Louisville. It was me and Carrie and the gal who's the moderator from Baltimore, and somehow we just kind of ended up as a trio, and we were taken to, uh, you know, a, a distillery, uh, tasting thing. I don't, I don't know if it has a special name, a place where you taste. A, to- a distillery tour. Sure. But it wasn't even really, a, cause it wasn't at the distillery. Oh, then I have no idea. It was just like doing. at a storefront where they did tastings for a distillery. Um, anyways, we learned how to drink bourbon together and boy, oh boy, did we learn how to drink bourbon together? And then afterwards we went and found this hole in the wall restaurant in Louisville and had a great meal together. And it was just so much fun on that trip to really get to know Carrie Baker, uh, the person, not just Carrie Baker, the coach. Um, and she, she's just so, like much like Amy, like she is warm and funny she has a bit more of a cutting edge to her humor, which I appreciate. Um, also and, and she didn't mind me having a bit more of a cutting edge to my humor, which is good. That means we can get along. Um, and she also is one of like the best proponents for the podcast as well. Like she's she's been so kind in her uh, praise to us personally. And I've been in rooms where she's talked it up and she talked about how she listens to it, you know, when she's doing her workouts at four in the morning, like the reason the podcast comes out at four in the morning is so that Carrie will have it in her inbox in her podcast feed by the time she does her workout at whatever crazy hour she, she gets up and does her workouts. Um, 
So I, I have just adored getting to know Carrie throughout the years. And, um, I'm, you know, the nice thing is that friendship is still growing and the relationship gets to keep, uh, keep evolving as time goes on. Uh, did you see the picture that Carrie posted from her old high school yearbook? I did. Because Carrie went to Port Washington High School, so her husband Scott was there and sought out one of her yearbooks and just came. So it, the Port Washington tab room is in a computer lab in the library where one whole wall of it is windows. So all of a sudden, Scott just comes and just puts the book up against the window and is like dancing behind it. Uh, and so Carrie walked us through her yearbook and it was great to see how many years have passed but yet how little has changed yeah i believe i believe she was making the look at your watch gesture (laughs) in that photo which is very carrie baker i I was i was like what filter did they use on that picture they took of carrie today (laughs) it was wonderful um i do feel a little uh bad that my uh like story about Annalisa also involves drinking. I'm telling you, it's it's how we get to know each other. And also as forensics coaches, sometimes you need it. Um, I didn't really start interacting with Annalisa until she joined the executive board. She's our uh, secretary for the WFCA. And uh, last summer after one of our executive board meetings in Port Washington, she and I and John Peschel just walked down to this Mexican restaurant that everyone is always raving about in in Port Washington and just got margaritas and chips and guacamole and just like hung out and chatted. And it was just nice to get an opportunity to be in a smaller group setting to get to know someone. And I got to hear about how much she loves cruises, which is not a thing I've ever like met anyone who is into. And she was about to take the, she and John were about to go on a cruise together with their significant others. And I, she just is a very wonderful, but she's also just a very level-headed. Like every meeting I am in with her, she is almost always the one who is able to just bring everyone back to center and refocus the discussion for us, which if you have ever been in a forensic meeting, you know is desperately needed almost any time. And I'm just really excited that she is becoming more involved and she is becoming more visible to our organization because... She is a dope lady. She probably wouldn't want me to describe her as a dope lady. But Annalisa, I think you're a dope lady. And I am excited for many more years of getting to work with you and interact with you and see how you continue to grow that ridiculous Sun Prairie team. Agreed. Ridiculous in a good way, of course. The best way. The best way. The best way. So, And those are the three winners other than me. Yay! Yay! So congratulations to all who are nominated, you included. Thank and, you for not thinking you said through a nice story about me. And I won't. I, I knew that that would be the end. Yeah, right. Like, I was going to let the opportunity pass to tell my favorite story about Melissa. Uh, so I am recording this after I have finished my conversation with her. And she won't know this is even in the podcast uh, until uh, she listens back to it, if she listens back to it. Um, I have so many memories with Melissa. We have been going to tournaments and recording for years. We have been watching Drag Race at my house. Uh, We have been throwing each other parties. We have celebrated birthdays and anniversaries. She read at my wedding. Um, So there's almost too many memories to even really recount. But when I really sat down and I thought, what is my favorite 
memory of Melissa. Surprisingly, it does not involve any drinking. Um, but as many of you know, if you listen to the podcast, Melissa and I had an opportunity to travel to New York together to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on Broadway. And uh, it was really exciting to be able to go with a group of friends who I really adore. Um, and all of these people are people that I have really meaningful connections with. But I have to say, after the end of Act One of Part One of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, I looked to my right. And a few seats down was Melissa. And I just saw in her face all the feelings that I was having as well. The joy, the surprise, the, the gratitude uh, for being in that moment. And because Melissa wears her emotions on her sleeves, uh, I was able to really see uh, in her all of those things that I was feeling that I'm not as good at expressing. And so her, her tear soaked face, um, will always be burned into my memory as, uh, just a really special moment for our friendship. Um, because it's clear that even though she and I did not, you know, go to high school at the same time, we didn't compete each other against each other. Uh, we share such a love for, those books, and we have spent so much time talking about uh, that work and how, what it has meant to our lives, um, that to get to share that moment with her, for me, was really special. And it had nothing to do with forensics, but forensics is where our relationship was born. And years after the fact, what that meant is that we were sitting in a theater in New York City sharing a truly sacred moment. And so that's my story about Melissa. And now we will get back to the podcast conversation. So that's not happening. I don't, don't worry. Podcast don't worry. anymore. Um, so I just. If you uh, haven't yet voted for the hints, make sure you go into your email and you fill out the Google form. And please uh, make sure that you click Carrie Baker Jackson, Amy Geyser, or Annalisa Dahlgren. And not Melissa Gabrielson, unless you truly, for some reason, believe that I am a better candidate, then I appreciate your feelings and your enthusiasm for me as a person. Uh, but I am a huge advocate for those three other ladies. Uh, and I also just want to point out that as time is moving on and the way that we see the world grows wider and wider, uh, I am very excited for our organization to embrace and push into leadership not just women, but people who identify outside of the gender binary for us to have more representatives of different uh, sexual orientations, uh, different ethnicities. And if you are someone who identifies as a, as someone who is not a white male, consider joining an executive position, getting on one of the committees, having your voice be heard. Uh, one of the reasons that I believe the four of us are nominated for the hints is because we found our place in the executive board and participating in our organization and other aspects of the forensics community. And I want, I want other people like that. No offense to the white men that I interact with on a regular basis on the executive board, but like, I love y'all, but there's enough of you. Yeah. Well, I'd like, and I'd like some other folks, man. It's especially as we are going into an election season where it seems like just being a man is the most like important thing to some people. Like it's it's the idea that like men are more electable than women. There are some incredibly qualified women who are coming in last place in 
the latest polls that came out from Wisconsin um, about the Democratic candidates. And it is just a stack of white men and then the women follow. And so clearly in 2020, in our society today, it is still the belief of many adults that men are simply more qualified to lead than women. And so I am so glad that our organization is having this moment. I hope it is a moment that does not end. I hope it becomes more than a moment um, that showcases the women who are leaders in our organization so that the next generation does not have this crazy idea that for no reason whatsoever that men are better at being leaders. So I'm proud of us. I'm glad this is happening. Um, but if next year we go back to three white male candidates, then we, we have to take back that pat on the back. Oh, there will be an entire podcast where I am so high up on my soapbox that I'm going to jump from it and do splits. She going to jump from there. Yes. She going to jump from that box. And while I'm going down, getting into my splits, living my Aja realness, I will be yelling. Yes. So I'm, I'm so happy to see this moment and let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. WFCA. Good job. We can do it. Um, before we go, I just want to say thank you to everybody who has emailed, commented, or spoken to me in person about last week's episode. Oh my gosh. It was, it has been overwhelming the amount of people who have reached out to us both individually and as a podcast. And the conversations that I've gotten to have are just exactly one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast. Basically one of the reasons other than talking to you, it's that other people come up to me and we get to have these insightful thought provoking and forward moving conversations. And I, that episode was very difficult for me, <laughs> but I am very glad that we did it because of the kind of conversations that I've been having and you've been having, and hopefully other people have been having in the wake of it. Yeah, it's that's exactly what we aim to do is create conversation, respectful yep. conversation, which I think, yep. you know, hopefully in forensics, we are good at doing. Effective communicators. Yeah, you know, and that doesn't always mean it landing in the same place or having the same opinion. It doesn't always mean convincing the other person you're talking to. Yeah. You know, uh, but conversations are, are good. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who has reached out. And if you haven't gotten to that episode and you listen to it and you have strong feelings about it, please, by all means, drop us a line, send us yeah, an email, comment on the, no, the women in your forensics life and outside of your forensics life that have pushed you forward. I, you heard me basically crying over Kurt seeing a supportive dad. Uh, I want to read your stories and I hope that other people get to be inspired by them and motivated by them. And also just maybe reaching out to those people yourself and just saying, Hey, I just want to let you know that you were a huge reason of why I am where I am today. And I just look back on you so fondly. And I just wanted to like, let you know how grateful I am. Like good opportunity to do that. Absolutely. So, um, that's all I have. Did you want to bring up anything else before we say goodbye? Um, RuPaul's Drag Race is back on air and, uh, next week's episode is going to have a Milwaukee queen. And, um, if you want to 
support and talk about it uh, with me in person. Uh, by the time we are at Sheboygan North next week, we'll have I'll have watched the episode at least, and I want to talk to you about it. And I will not, so don't bring it up. Don't talk to Kurt. Talk to me. In a different room than Kurt. Oh, we'll be in a different hallway, different wing. It won't. Oh, you cannot be within earshot. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really want to discuss Drag Race with Melissa next week, uh, send me a message and I'll put you at the middle school for judging the categories that are over there. <laughs> and then you guys can talk about it all you want in a whole separate building. We'll be down the block. Yep, the middle school is where you come to discuss it. Yep. And then uh, and then once we're all back in the same building, everybody shut the traps. Because <laughs> you never know when I might come around a corner and hear a spoiler. And I would hate that. Oh. I look forward to seeing you at Sheboygan North Kurt Graves. I look forward to seeing you as well. And then uh, and then we will have another podcast out the following week, Monday or Tuesday. That's kind of a thing. I don't know if people noticed it. Like we're at the point now where it, the podcast will either come out on Monday or Tuesday. And I'm not really worried about committing to one or the other. Give it's, us grace, guys. Yeah, it's when we have the chance to to talk to one another. So One more thing before we go. If you are a coach in the WFCA and you haven't seen it yet, there's a Facebook event live for the 50th anniversary party that I somehow got, again, cajoled and uh, am hosting here in Sheboygan. So please go look at that event on Facebook. I think it's just WFCA 50th anniversary. Uh, And if you have questions about it, feel free to uh, reach out to us or to me, but not us, just me, not Kurt. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything. You don't care. Just me. I can offer you no information. It's not that I, It'll be fun. I it's promise. not that I don't care. It's just that I can offer you. Yeah. No, I can offer you zero information. So, all right. Well, with that, uh, I'm going to say goodbye and we're going to say goodbye. And then we will chat at these guys next week. Bye. Bye. Forensics Faces is proudly produced in Wisconsin, the birthplace of the National Forensics League. Our theme song was written and performed by JJ Hammeister. If you're a fan of Forensics Faces, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can get in touch with Melissa and me by emailing listen at ForensicsFaces.com. You can also find links to all of our social media accounts and our online merch store by visiting ForensicsFaces.com. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak. Preferably in that order.